may be a long journey back before the automobile. I don't know, maybe. Not for most of us, but for some of us, maybe. Can you remember how excited you were to get that, that little plastic card or whatever it was back in the day? Can you remember that building up of that excitement as you were getting closer to, to age 16 or whatever the age limit was, 14 in, in your day and age? Um, whatever that age was, as you're getting that push and the excitement was building and building and building and building up to the culmination of, of one event. That event that happened in between driver's training and getting your license. What's the event that happened? The road test. The last major hurdle in your chance to freedom was the road test. For me, I barely slept the night before. I worried about being asked to a parallel park our family's boat um, with one of those uh, Chevy Caprice wagons, you know, with the fake wood side. It, it was so big it barely fit into our garage type of thing. You like had to bust the garage wall so that the you know door was shut behind it type of big wagons. And we lived in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, so you know I was afraid that he'd take me downtown. Milwaukee and say, all right, there's obviously a spot for a, spot for a Kia. Would you park your, you know, Caprice wagon here? You know, that's what I was worried about. And, and so, like, all the while I tossed and turned, and I was so nervous and excited, and it was building up. And, you know, I, my dad picked me up early from school that day, and all my friends knew what I was going to do. Because everyone knows. They just know. He just turned 16. It's time. He's going to get picked up for the test. And so we got in line at the DMV and waited for our road test to happen. Finally, the man behind the counter put up a sign that says, you know, see next window. He grabs his clipboard and his pen and starts walking towards me, all the way doing this. You know, kind of one of these intimidation things, I think, you know. Push, 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 push. I meant to have a pen so I could do it. Push, 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 push. You know, and I you get right to him, and, you know, he can tell I'm nervous. I mean, obviously, I, I'm probably sweating in my pits, you know. I mean, I, I was a wreck at this point. And he comes up to me and says, you know, listen, everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay as long as you do everything I tell you to do. Everything will be okay as long as you do everything I tell you to do. I want you to remember those words, okay? So stay with me. My dad was asked to stay behind, of course, because, you know, Dad's in the back seat would be a bad investment. Hey, don't forget to bring your, you know, that type of thing. And so he was asked to, to stay behind, and off he went. Every time he touched, he'd pull out his clipboard and his pen, clippy, 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 mumble something under his breath, and then write something down. Now, the whole time, I had no idea how well I was doing. There was no, hey, great job, or hey, that was awful. There was nothing. It was just neutral. It was just mumble, 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 clippy, 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 ready, ready, ready. The whole time. Everything came out part fine. It was awesome. Like, boom, back. Just pulled right up next to it. Right in. And, and I didn't even turn around. I did it all in the mirror. It was awesome. I couldn't believe it. I was like, surely I have passed the test. And we're on our way back, and we're opening the DMV, and the driving instructor says to me, would you please speed up a little bit? So I do. Just a little bit. And we arrive to the uh, DMV, and under his breath, he's going, 
which is a new sound for me. I've not heard that one yet. All I've heard is mumble, 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 clicky, 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 ready, ready, ready. Now he's going. We get out, and my dad meets us at the car, and he says, hey, great job on your, your driving test. You, you, you passed. Almost. Now, that's not really a word you want to hear. When you're, when you're on the line, on the finish line of getting your freedom card, is it? Have you passed? Almost. Then he says to me, you know what? What I have to do is to speed up a little bit. Did you know you shouldn't listen to your, your uh, passengers when they tell you to break the law? started doing this. The tears, you know, and I trying to shake them off, you know, trying to be a man. I could not. I couldn't believe it. I think the worst part of it was there was still half a day of school left. And you know everyone knew what I was going to do. And you knew everyone would be asking, did you pass or fail? Right? Well, I passed. Almost. And he informed me I six weeks or something, and need more training, and I had time in the car with my dad, and my dad was pretty upset, I think almost as much as I, and he actually let me skip the rest of the day of school, I wish he would have let me skip the rest of the year, it was April, you know, it's a few months, and all I could think about was, I wish I could go back in time, I wish I could regret what I just did, I wish I wouldn't have listened to this guy telling me to go 28 and a 25. I just wish I wouldn't have done it. Have you ever been in a predicament where you're like, oh, if I could only take those words back, I would do it. If I could unsend the email I just sent, when I responded to everybody and spoke to the one person, I would take it back. Have you ever wondered as a child, if I could build a time machine in my life. Ever wonder that? Or am I the only weird dinosaur? Fiction kid. When Superman, you know, went around the world backwards and spun the world backwards to save Lois Lane, I thought, man, I wish I could do that. Have you ever wished you could just go and fix something before it had been too late? Maybe a relationship with someone who had already passed, but you never fixed that relationship. Have you ever wished that you eased off the gas before you got to the state trooper and not after? I've been there. For you golfers, we call them mulligans, right? Do-overs. I call them hand wedges. I'm sure all of us have been in at least one situation where a second chance would have been awesome. Can we all, can we agree? Can, Raise your hand if you wish you could have one second chance. Just one. Just one. Now, the truth is, in today's passage, you get that opportunity. So let's turn to Luke 23, 32 to find out what they did with that second chance. Luke 23, 32. It's a very familiar passage that will be at Luke 32, or, uh, 23, 32 to find out what these guys did with their second chance. Now, here's a quick sum. Jesus has been hated and dogged by the Pharisees and by the teachers of the law, and they want him 
removed from the situation. So they come up with false charges that he blasphemed against God, and they hold him on trial, beat him, hold him on trial, beat him some more, send him to Pilate, Pilate convicts him wrongly, and he knows it, but he is pressured by these guys to do it. And so he, he condemns this man to death, beat him, shred him, shred him, beat him to shreds, and openly mock him. And then this is where we're at in the passage. Verse 32, two others who were criminals were being ordered to be put to death with him. They also received the death penalty. And when they came to a place called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminal, one on the right and the other on the left. One on the right and one on the left. Crucifixion was a hellish method of killing somebody. It was a slow, painful death. It caused the greatest amount of pain someone could have before they died. And everyone feared this form of execution. In fact, when they would do it, they'd let the body hang for a while as a reminder. Do you want to be this guy? It was the highest form of capital punishment in the ancient world. And there at the skull or Golgotha, Jesus was crucified between two criminals. And in the middle of this horrific scene, Luke highlights something very remarkable. Let's keep reading. Verse 34. But Jesus was saying, Father, do what? Forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among them. In the middle of Jesus' agony, in the middle of his terrible suffering, in the middle of his injustice, Jesus focused on the needs of others. He took seriously the words that he spoke in Luke 6, 27-28, where he said, Love your enemies. Do good for those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. You know, we only have recorded a few times when Jesus spoke. Only seven times when he spoke on the cross. This is one of seven. One of seven things that Jesus said on the cross. And the first one was to forgive those who were doing it against him. Out of all the things he could have said, I would have said, okay, we're done with it. That would have been the first thing and the last thing. Speaking like I'm God, right? We'd all be in trouble. I'd be in trouble. He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. He uses it as an opportunity to forgive and pray for those who just nailed him to the cross and were now gambling for his clothes. Verse 35, and people stood by looking on. Even the rulers were sneering at him saying, he saved others. Let him save himself. If this really is the Christ of God, this chosen one. The religious rulers of the day who had falsely accused him and had put Pilate to the crucified Jesus were now all standing around the cross, mocking him, hurling insults and challenges and rubbing it in his face to lower it in him. What are you going to do now, Jesus? You're not going to cross. If you're really God, save yourself. But you can't.
soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him and offering him sour wine, which is either really bad wine or drunk wine. And he said, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now there was also an inscription above him, which these men had hung, which said, this is the king of the Jews. The soldiers joined in the insults by hanging a sign above his head and feeding him this bitter wine. And they actually challenged him, if you're really who you say you are, then come down and fight. Come down and do something about it. Now, do you remember those two guys that have been crucified on either side of him? The two criminals that have been justly accused, but now were crucified on either side of him? Do you remember them? They too also joined in the mob scene. Look at verse 39. One of the criminals who were hanging there was hurling insults of abuse at him, saying, You're not the Christ. Save yourself and us. Now this passage only has one of the criminals, but in the Matthew passage, it actually says they both started out taunting him and saying the same thing over and over again. They'd just taken the words of the religious rulers, and now they're throwing it in Jesus' face. Here they are, hanging themselves, and they're breaking the glass between them. But here's where it gets really interesting. Verse 40. But the other criminal answered and rebuked the one that had just said what he said in verse 39. And he said to him, Do you not even fear God? Since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly. We're getting what we deserve. For we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man man has done nothing wrong. Somewhere along the way, during the crucifixion scene, this criminal had the change of heart. Perhaps it was just watching Jesus' reaction to the people nailing him to the cross. Maybe it was watching Jesus' reaction to the people taunting him and mocking him and, and calling down insults and just teasing him and just belittling him. Maybe it was just the pathetic scene of what Jesus looked like, a shred of ribbon hanging on the cross him in this pathetic form of what used to look like a man, now shredded beyond recognition. Maybe it broke his heart. I don't know. But somewhere along the way, the scales were lifted of it from his eyes, and he saw reality. And he had a change of heart. A completely innocent man was being killed, yet this man was offering forgiveness and second chances. And this criminal knew that this man was no more than innocent because he had no sin. Do you not fear God because you're openly mocking him? And then he confesses his guilt and actually defends Jesus' innocence. And then something really remarkable happens. Verse 43. And then he's like saying to the side, like mumbling to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said back to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The criminal turns to Jesus and mumbles a, a request. It's not, hey, did you save both of us? It's not, hey, would you forgive me for my sin? It's not, hey, would you, would you do something about this? It's not, hey, would you please save me and take me into your kingdom? 
What does he say? Remember me. He knew what he deserved. He knew what he deserved, and, and he knew what this man didn't deserve. And he said, simply, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? I know what you I've done. I know what you are. I know what I deserve. I know that you don't deserve it. Please, just remember me. Just remember me when you come into your kingdom. But then Jesus gives him a promise of something so much better, so much better. Not only will I remember you, but today you will be with me in paradise. The place of restored relationship with God, a place of beauty, joy, and rest. Today you will be with me. You are simply to be remembered that I'm going to do so much more, so much better. I'm going to take you there. Second Peter 3.9 tells us that God wishes that no one would perish, but that all would come to repentance. And even if you don't deserve a second chance like the criminal on the cross, Jesus offers it anyway. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by what? Grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Today's application is this. The question isn't this. Can I get a second chance? Because a lot of times I think we walk through life thinking, can I get a second chance? I wish I had a second chance. Could I get a second chance? The question isn't that at all. The real question today is this. What are we going to do with the second chance we've been given? Does that make sense? And that's for all of us. It's not, can I get a second chance? It's, what am I going to do with the second chance that I've been given? And today as we celebrate communion, this table of elements, the bread and, and the cup, as we celebrate what he's done for us, we're face to face with our second chance. And that's why we do it every month. We look at this cup and we go, this is my second chance. Here it is. He's given it to me. And it's empty for us because he's risen from the grave. So today, we all have a choice to make. What am I going to do? What are you going to do with your second chance? And as we take time out of our service to remember Christ's sacrifice, I believe we need just like the poor people in Genesis 3 in our passage today. We need to make one of four choices. You're going to make one of four choices whether you know it or not. Because maybe you made it up already in your mind. The first one was the rulers who openly mocked him and reject his rightful rule in his life and said, basically, I'm better off without you. So they murdered him. The second decision, we're like the soldiers. You can forget about any guilt that you might have and go on with your life ignoring Jesus' sacrifice for what you've done. Or you could be like thief one who blindly repeats what other people are saying about Jesus without examining it for yourself. And reject your opportunity at a second chance. Or, hopefully, this is what we all can do today, be like thief number two to wake up to our reality, to see our guilt, to turn away what, from what we've done toward the only one that can save us from our death, our past, 
seemingly simply ignoring and go on with your life as many do, or seemingly you blindly follow other people's opinions, never exploring Jesus for yourself or for the eternal state of heaven. What sweet music that would sound like that. What will you do, church? What will you do with your Sunday? In a few moments, we're going to celebrate celebrate this second chance opportunity that Jesus gave us by remembering the sacrifice of his body on the cross in the form of that wafer and the spilling of his blood for our sins, his payment for my sins. Today we're going to be celebrating that. And here at Temple Hill Baptist Church, we just ask two things, just two things. Should be no surprise. One, do you know him and have you taken that step? If you have, doesn't matter who you are, where you've come from, what you're doing, do you know Jesus as your Savior? Great. Let's partake. The second thing is this. Have you looked inside your heart to say, what have I done with that sacrifice? Is there some secret sin that you are just hiding or you just haven't dealt with? Is there some unresolved conflict between you and God? Now is the time to look and say, this is no longer an option. I need to change something about my life. And today, that's what we're going to do in the second chance opportunity. The music will play, and the time of reckoning will take place. Let's have our first chance.